So we're going to be starting a new story, a series this um, next few weeks. And we're going to be centering in the, God, the first epistle of John. I'm going to call this the surpassing story. But let me ask you something. What if I told you that there is one thing, one thing that shapes everything about you? What you desire, what you hope for, the decisions you make, the people you choose to be around, the, even the person you married, how you relate to your children, how you relate to other people, your, the career path you took, the things that drive you, the things that make you crazy, all of it can be boiled down into one thing. What is that one thing? Your theology? Is it your philosophy? Is it your self-help methods? What, what makes everything different in your life? What is the thing that defines you as a person? And you may be surprised, but that one thing is story. One thing in your life shapes it all. Shapes everything there is about you. And it is story. And here in the, the epistle, first epistle of John, John who wrote the Gospels, he, he is going to be testifying and, and, and talking about a message and a person that they've seen that verifies a larger message, a larger story. And so over the next several weeks, I want us as people to be looking at our own story Stories and how they relate to a surpassing story. Now, John is writing to uh, the, the, the early church, and he's writing to them and encouraging them. He wants them to have a, a, an assurance of their faith, or, or to, to be um, confident in their faith, and so on. And let me just tell you, I don't think that's possible until each and every one of us understands the power of story. And so, if anything I want you guys to catch over the next several weeks is that, first of all, you have a story, and your story matters. Every human in this room has a story, and your story matters immensely. It matters to God. It matters to others, and it matters to you because your story shapes everything about you, whether you like it or not. Some of us are running from that idea. Some of us have ignored that idea. Some of us don't even know that is a reality. And so I want to expose you to that over the next several weeks. And so first of all, we need to see the importance of story in general, the importance of story. You know, in 19, uh, I think it was 1985, <clears throat> um, Apple computers fired Steve Jobs. And 12 years later, 1997, they hired him back because they were running out of money. They were, they were, they were, they were about 90 days to being completely out of money and bankrupt. And so they begged Steve Jobs to come back and help them out. Well, Steve Jobs, the first thing he did, he walked through the door and, and, and eliminated 70% of their product offerings. Can you imagine? Because, you know, if you're a company, 
what do you, if you, you're, you need to sell stuff to make money. And so everybody was shocked. And, but this is what happened. He brought these people together. He brought his, st- his teams together or whatever. And they had a, a, a staff meeting, as it were, or whatever. And, and he basically s- said this. I, I came in the door and I asked the one question. It was actually two questions. But it boils down to one question. Who is Apple and where do we fit in this world? He says, we can answer that. We'll make it. A big deal with Microsoft help too. But anyway, um, who is Apple and where do we fit in this world? What is that? What do you think that is? What are those questions formulating? Story. And Steve Jobs knew the power of stories. As a matter of fact, he says this. He said this at some point later on. He said, the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. The storyteller sets the vision, values, and agenda of an entire generation that is to come. Story is powerful. Story shapes our cultures. It shapes our societies. So, for example, it shapes even our our legal systems and our justice system. I found that out. When we had an, we were traveling up from Pompano Beach on I-95, and we had that accident, and it was three different individuals. It was my my, so my insurance company was involved. This truck truck and trucks uh, trucking company's insurance company, and then the lady who ultimately lost control and caused the accident was. And so I had to tell, I was got these phone calls. And, and, and each time it was the same thing. We're going to, you mind if we record this or whatever? And they took a statement of the story of what happened. And those stories formed the basis of eventually who was going to have to pay a lot of money. Story is powerful. I mean, have you ever had a friend uh, sit you down or sit down with you and tell you something that has happened to you? Maybe something meaningful? Maybe, or maybe somebody's told you about the, their first kiss or a dramatic event at work? It's powerful. And if, if you want to get a group of little kids to be still and calm and focused for a short period of time, because they're not wired to do that, tell them a good story. And they're all going to be quiet and listening. It's amazing. That's why we use our TVs to babysit. It works. Story is powerful. So, and, but it goes beyond that. Actually, neurolo- uh, neurology uh, and the social sciences are all beginning to figure out what uh, philosophers and storytellers have figured out long ago. Is that as human beings... We, our brains are hardwired for stories. They really are. I mean, stories make, uh, stories are the way we make sense of the world and understand our place in it. Stories define us and shape the way we live. We are story-formed creatures. We don't, we can't exist out of story. Um, there's, there was a study done, um, it was for, uh, I think, world, not World Vision. It was like our, uh, it was something Save the Kids. And so they decided to do a study, and they produced two brochures. One brochure 
talked about all these statistics of, like, of how many kids were dying in this place and, and so on. And, and then the other brochure uh, told the story of one child and her struggle. And each of the participants were given $5 and were to d- donate as much as they felt they should to either one of these donations. And guess what? The one that told the individual's story overwhelmingly raised more money than all the data and statistics and stuff that's important. We are wired for story. Tim Keller put it this way, the significance of stories is this. While many stories are often no more than entertainment, narratives are actually so fundamental to how we think that they determine how we understand and live life itself. So stories are immensely important. And so it's no surprise then that there is a battle for the story. There is a raging battle that's been going on since the beginning of time to which stories, what story would be told. Um, for example, there's a, a really uh, visceral example of this was um, in Rwanda in the 90s. Uh, the Hutu uh, population uh, went out and murdered. So these are people that lived next door to each other, knew each other, went to school together, worked together, up to that point had in, in large part lived in relative peace. And then all of a sudden, one event happened, a small, uh, one president guy was assassinated or something happened, and all of a sudden, the Hutu people went wild, killing millions of others, of their neighbors. And how did that happen? It was story. As a matter of fact, most would say, I mean, obviously there's there's some history there, whatever, but there was one particular Hutu um, radio broadcast that broadcast stories and told a narrative. You, these people are bad. They have done wrong to you in the past. That if you don't, if you you can't trust them. If you don't do something now, they're going to take us over and kick us out of here or kill us. Um, one author um, of an article in, um, I think it was a Duke University article. Let's see if I can pull it up quickly. She said this. It was um, a Claire Callahan uh, writing it on a Duke University article said, what I found especially interesting about the content of these broadcasts was the way in which, in which its efforts to direct the extermination of the Tupi, Tutu, Tutsi, excuse me, Tutsi population was paralleled by its efforts to claim authority over the telling of history. They wanted to tell And so she goes on to say, the radio broadcasts reveal a struggle over who gets to tell history and therefore a struggle over a monopoly of truth. Story is powerful. And there's a battle over the story. We see that, look with me, the the second part of this passage here in 1 John. We, We begin to see it. And lived out in our lives as Christians. So read with me starting in verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. 
that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have found fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. And so what we see here is a contrast. What John calls walking in the light and walking in and darkness what does he mean by that i think in very real way spiritual light versus spiritual darkness but what does that mean biblically and in the new testament it means whether we would walk according to and then old testament would say according to god's word the 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 word god's word is a lamp unto my feet right Uh, so on and it's it's to live according to god's truth which is light because uh, the, the lies of the enemy are, are darkness. But what are those truths? What, are those, what is his word? None other than a story. So what he's saying is, are you walking in the light, a true story, or are you walking in a, another story? And that, that battle went way back. Go back to Genesis uh, chapter 3 in the garden. Adam and Eve are there. God has told a story. He has spoken existence in, into, excuse me, spoken creation into existence. And he tells them, literally tells them how to live. Tells them the story in which to live their lives. And Satan comes. And said, did God really say that? How about another story? So in other words, the enemy comes along and says, I have a story to tell you. Once upon a time, right? Once upon a time. That's what he comes to do. And we see it here. And it says if, if we um, walk in the light, walking in the light is, is um, living in the reality of God's truth. This doesn't mean, okay, just intellectually assenting to a, a set of theological truths, going through some uh, behavioral, religious uh, uh, hoops that we may, we may go through. Rather, it means being transformed by God's story, and that means eradicating countless false stories that drive us each day. And so that means, yes, we are being driven by stories all the time, and we don't even know it. We, we live in an environment of stories. It's the water we swim in. We're like fish. We're so used to the water, we don't even know they're there. But they're there. And the stories are, are moving. And there's currents moving with us. And sometimes dragging us along. Some of these stories, we're going to get into this deeper as we move forward. Some of these stories are forged in the pain or the euphorias, the joys of your life starting when you were this little to now. And all those stories matter and they shape us. We're going to get deeper into that. But if you go to Romans 12, verse 2, we're told, do not be conformed 
to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what he's talking about here is the same thing. It's not talking about that you would test the will of God as this list of do's and don'ts, but rather, are you, we would test our lives. And this idea of mind here is not just intellect. It's, it's an attitude, a disposition, a lifestyle. And that we are to, to be transforming by the renewing our attitudes and the way that we live our lives, and that it would be, tra- it would be conformed not to the pattern of this world, the stories of this world, but rather the gospel, the story of God. And so, Brene Brown, she's real popular now, done like a bunch of TED Talks with millions of viewers or whatever. In her latest book, she said this, and I thought this was really a pointed statement. So when we own our stories, I'll describe what I think that means. When we own our stories, we avoid being trapped as characters in stories someone else is telling. Because you're going to be a character in a story. And are you going to form your own story? Are you going to conform it to the better story we're going to admit? Or are you just going to be the character in somebody else's story and not even know it? It's that owning story we're going to talk about more and later. It's how do we own our stories? How do we, how do we, how do we look at our stories honestly? And maybe the stories we don't even know are being, being latched into our hearts. Okay, but there's more to it than this because we got to be. This is going to be a process. This is, a, I think, a lifelong process of, of walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. Is uh, um, one person put it this way: you, you can't just get a new story. You have to live in it, right? You, you have to step inside a story. You can't just, you know, oh, I think I'll I'll just start living an entirely different new story today. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, and and that, that's what the Bible constantly is having us coming back to the gospel, renewing, 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 and conforming our hearts to a surpassing story. So you can't just delete stories out of your heart. It, it would you can't do it. So how do you? And I've talked about this before. Uh, in uh, Thomas Chalmers had a, a famous sermon that's really hard to read because it's really really old. But it's called this, um, the, uh, the, expulsive, not, the expulsive power of a new affection. He said, if you want to change, you don't just try to get rid of bad affections for things that are bad in your life. Instead, supplant them with something better, something joyous. And that's what we see that we are, we are called to is a surpassing story, a, a story that is greater, a story that can both not just come alongside the false stories in our lives and that's where a lot of churches are today they, they they're not challenging the stories of culture but rather they're just kind of coming alongside they say oh your your life goal is to have better kids and be, well-behaved kids and a better job more money oh okay well if you if you believe enough you pray enough you come to church enough and if you give enough god will give you that he'll give you what your story wants but but a surpassing story counters the story and supplants it with a better one. And this is why the Christians have lost, I think, at least mostly, lost what we would call the culture wars. We have. Why? Because the culture 
has won the story. And it sounds good to people. It says, freedom is good. It's good that people aren't, uh, you know, criticized and judged and all this stuff. Because Christians, that's all they're about is what we shouldn't do and how we're bad and mean and God wants to kill us if we don't do this stuff. And that's the story that they have heard from this church in so many ways. And they tell a more nicer story. And so how do we confront that? Do we get lawyers and take it to court? Do, what do, how do we confront the culture? By saying it's wrong and bad and ugly? No. We, we, there's a time where we have to counter that. But rather we tell a more beautiful story. A better story. And that's what we see here in the first part of this passage. Is what John starts with. He says, look at me in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Okay, so what is this? What, what if, which was from the beginning? This word beginning is important, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? It's the beginning of the story. So that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen now with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to, testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. So he's saying, you know that story we heard? Remember like in you know, Jewish synagogue class? Remember Sunday morning or Saturday mornings early? We all get up and hear these stories. Guess what? We have seen it. We've touched it. We've heard it. We have seen the pinnacle, the, the, the climax of that story in real life. Come alive. It is real. This is a better story. And it's the eternal life he talks about. It's the eternal life that's, that we are now get, given and promised because God sent his son, Jesus, that we have now seen and witnessed and testified to, to live a life we could never live. You know the story, right? To die a death we perfectly deserve now. And he has been raised to life. And guess what? We touched him. He was raised bodily, physically from the dead. He is alive. And that means in connection with him, we will live. And all the joys and hopes and longings and the fears and all the things that we would love to see realized. And we try to find them realized in so many other stories. It will be realized and made beautiful and perfect in one person, Jesus Christ. And that is a surpassing story. And this eternal life is so powerful and transforming. He says it will in fact create genuine fellowship with other Christians, which is pretty unheard of to have genuine fellowship and community with other people. There's a chart that we were exposed to recently. Amanda went to Parakaleo. It's like a church planting, um, it's a ministry for church planting wives. And they showed a chart of community. And like there's kind of a process of community. People come together, and at first it's just superficial. 
but it looks really good at first. You know, like, ah, we're all getting along, you know. But then, you know, conflict's going to come, right? You can put a bunch of sinners in the same proximity to each other, living life together, you know. And so conflict arises, which is normal. And so guess what? People either start fighting it out or they start getting out of there. And that's the cycle. And then they'll get out of there. They'll fight for a while. They'll get out of there and they'll go be another community. And they'll do the superficial thing for a while, whatever. And it's only when that people are in that conflict, which our church has gone through and has been like buffeted and weeded out immensely through conflict. And on the other end, those people who are people who left the others to stay in genuine community, it requires the grace of the gospel together. And so, when we know and our lives are being shaped by the power of the story, a surpassing story, we begin to have fellowship with others. But not only that, fellowship with God Himself. If you want to grow closer and know God more, it's, it's about, then we need to know our stories and have them shaped and transformed by the surpassing story. That is a path to growth. And also, and more than that, it's one that leads to joy. He says, I want you all to know and live in this message, walking in lightness, not in darkness. Why? That your joy may become complete. Um, there's a... Um, a really good story that's told and it's been loved actually I think they're supposed to make like a real life version of it I, don't, I hope it's as good but Disney Disney does a really amazing job of telling stories and this one I think is really powerful it's the Lion King do y'all know the story of Lion King and I know there's some new agey stuff and all that and we, you know, we're not supposed to watch that or Harry Potter but, but there's, there's elements there's elements to the story and actually, if you really know the story of Harry Potter, you wouldn't say that. It's really powerful stuff, too. But there's this point in the story when uh, little Simba is tempted to go to the, the, the um, elephant graveyard. You know what I'm talking about? And he finally decides to go there. And, uh, and you know, all these wildebeests get called up. Um, and Simba's dad comes to try to save him and is killed in the process. You all know this, right? And there's this moment. Go watch it later if you want. There's this moment. I know what y'all are doing today before the game. Um, there's this moment where Simba is there under his de- deceased father's arm. And he's crying. And Scar comes up. And he says, Simba, what have you done? And he's. I didn't mean for any of this to happen. It was a wildebeest. I don't know what happened. Scar says, but the king is dead. And if, you, and if it weren't for you, he would still be alive. What would your mother think? He says, Simba says, what should I do? Run away. Never come back. There's this moment that when he says, but the king is dead. And if it wasn't for you, the animation is brilliant. You, what you see there is a face of shame. And that story takes little Simba, drives him from home to live in the wilderness and in loneliness and in shame. It was a story. It was a false story. 
It was supplanted by an enemy. It was a story of shame, a, sh- a story of guilt, a, sh- a story that, uh, in- that changed his identity. It was said, because you have done this, because you were this, because you were connected with this, because of this, you are no longer worth anything. I heard similar stories like that growing up. And they weren't necessarily talked to me by some individuals particularly. But my, my, my false narrow narrative was, you know, my dad, you know, left early when we were young, was left at home with an abusive brother. My mom was distracted and trying to, you know, just survive as a single parent. Um, and my false narrative was, no one wants you. You're alone. You must survive on your own. And that's what I did. That's what I sought to do. And I, I still seek to do it about very often. But that's a false story. Someone does want me. I'm not on my own. I don't have to figure this out. There's a better story. There is a surpassing story. So, let me ask you. Have you explored your story? Do you know your story. And I'm going to suggest that most of you probably don't really, have not really fully and entirely engaged your story. How do I know that? I've been engaged in my story for, for decades plus, for decades, and I haven't explored it all, and I haven't what a Renee Brown would call owning it or whatever. I have not I, not, my entire story, my whole path, and my story is being written now. <laughs> and there's things happening now that I have to engage there's messages I hear now. There's messages I, I kind of want to keep telling myself. I don't know why, but I'll keep telling myself these false messages. So, what is your story? And is it, are you weighing it and shaping it and transforming it with a surpassing story? And, and let me just, I always need to say this, but maybe up to this point, your story hasn't even included that surpassing story maybe and you haven't received what jesus has done for you you haven't taken the invitation to step into a better story and to be a character in god's story for your joy let me tell you you know how you do it it just it starts very simply you believe and you trust and you receive that story and you begin to take it you begin to step into it so your story matters. Story matters. And there's a battle raging for your story. Don't be fooled. However, there's a surpassing story that, that longs to shape and transform you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this word. That, that you would um, call us to a better story. And Lord, it is very often painful. It can drive us um, into anger and emotions that are scary and afraid of things that maybe we have been running from for, for, for our whole lives. And Lord, I pray, though, that the beauty of the gospel and that beautiful story would so overwhelm us with joy that we would face the struggle of being transformed by it. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for that story. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when we come and we do communion.